let's talk about marriage. Mowage. That's what we're talking about today. We're taking a full year, 52 full weeks, to talk about the 52 different things that Jesus said, really commanded. If Jesus commanded 52 different things, here's one of my biggest fears and my hope for this church is that we don't get to the end of our lives calling ourselves Christians all along the way and then come to a drastic realization, oh no, I didn't do the things Jesus asked me to do. That's going to be a reality for many people and I refuse to allow that to be our reality. I refuse it. So we're spending a year to understand the things Jesus said, the things he commanded. Let's not let ignorance be a factor in that. We're going to explore these things. Today's message isn't going to be three happy hops to a healthy marriage. That's not what today is. Because I think, and you may know if you're married, it's a little more complicated than that. If you've ever been married, you understand just how complicated marriage can be. If you're single, if you're single again, I hope that what is said today will be very applicable to your life as well. Now, there's many forces that are trying to pull marriages apart. There's personal forces, there's cultural forces, there's spiritual forces. So how do we honor marriage? How do we honor our commitment to both two people, our spouse and to God? If you're married, you probably um, stood on a church stage or maybe in front of Elvis and you made some commitments. <laughs> and you made commitments to your spouse and God. How do we honor the marriage commitment? We're going to start by taking a look at how Jesus, when he was confronted by the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the religious people of Jesus' day. When you think of religious people, that's not a good thing. That's, that's not a good thing. He was confronted by the Pharisees. They were trying to trap him, essentially, because they knew what the um, Old Testament really the scriptures they knew what the scriptures said about the verse about divorce so they went to Jesus this is found in the book of Matthew chapter 19 some Pharisees came and tried to trap him Jesus with this question should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason now some cultural context back in the day they weren't quite as advanced as our civilization today and a man could divorce a woman for any reason now, a woman couldn't necessarily divorce a man, but a man could divorce a woman for any reason. You don't like the cooking? You don't like her cooking tonight? Divorce. You don't like the way that she is teaching the kids today? Divorce. Any reason, you could divorce. And that was really wrong and unfair. Now, are there a few legitimate reasons for divorce? Yes, there are. Abuse would be one of them. If you're in a marriage and you're being abused, that may be a legitimate reason for divorce. Abandonment would be another legitimate reason for divorce. Also, 
adultery would certainly be a biblical reason for divorce. Here's Jesus' response in Matthew 19, verse 4. Haven't you read the scriptures? Pause right there for a second. So again, the Pharisees, the religious people, the uptight, hypocritical religious people came to Jesus trying to trap him. And here's his response. Haven't you read the scriptures? I felt like he should have said the word idiot after, after that. Haven't you, haven't you read the scriptures, ding dong? Because <laughs> that's kind of what he was saying. Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. There's a very real spiritual happening in marriage where two become one. There is this spiritual miracle that takes place of two souls, two bodies, joining and becoming one in marriage. To split these merged souls would be very painful. Avoid if at all possible. After joining your souls together in marriage, to split, avoid if at at all possible. And this is why some pastors in wedding ceremonies, you may have been at one where you heard them say, if anyone objects to this marriage, what do they say? Speak now or forever hold your peace. Has anybody seen anybody speak now? (laughs) That would be awkward. Why do they say that? Because let no one split apart what God has joined together. If they're gonna split, let's do it before you get married. That's what they're saying. Here are a couple, here are a couple marriage realities. Conflict is normal and inevitable. Both Leslie, my wife Leslie and I, we both brought a whole list of expectations into our marriage. And when those expectations weren't met, you know what we did? The F word. We fought. When our expectations weren't met, we fought. Here's what marriage expert Rick Blackman says. I always tell couples that you cannot eliminate conflict. If you're looking for someone to help you get rid of conflict, I cannot do that. What I can do is help you learn how to recover and how to repair. So where does most conflict come from in a relationship? And from personal experience, I can tell you the root of conflict is selfishness. The root of conflict in marriage is selfishness. I'm going to tell you a story in three parts. You ready? Part one. When I was 24 years old, Leslie asked one thing of me. She said, don't buy a motorcycle. Part two. On my 25th birthday, I had a Harley Davidson delivered to our front door. Part three. I can't talk about part three. (laughs) I would like to propose the root of conflict in marriage is selfishness. In the book of James in chapter 4, it says, Why do you fight and argue with each other? Isn't it because you're full of selfish desires 
that fight to control your body. You want something you don't have and you'll do anything to get it. Sound familiar? Sounds familiar to me. Because something in us is wired for selfishness. And what you want and what your spouse wants at times are two very different things. And these differences create conflict. That's a reality. I'm going to go through four powerful forces that we bring into marriage. Here they are. Here's the first one, actually. Gender. We bring gender into marriage. And if you're wondering, what does this church believe about gender? Because I know that's a big um, controversial topic in our world right now. I'm going to tell you what we believe. We simply believe what the Bible says. If you want to know what we believe on any issue, we simply believe what the Bible says. There are two genders, male and female. Men and women as equal partners, united to one in marriage. One of the genders is not better. One of the genders is not preferred. Man and woman together are the full image of God. Now, there's been a ton of brain research and study over the last decade. Some people's brains, and you can decide uh, if you're married or if you have a significant other, you can decide which of you is which on this. One of your brains, and it usually, there's usually both of these in a relationship. One person's brain is like a ball of wires. It's all connected and interconnected. You may be able to think of a bunch of different things at the exact same time. Your emotions and your attitudes and your feelings, they're all connected together. Your job is connected to your kids in your mind, which is connected to your spouse, which is connected to your friends, and it's tied into your schedules, which is connected to your to-do list, and all of that is connected to your sex life. And this is the reason why you can be in a moment of deep passion and all of a sudden ask the question, honey, did you remember to take out the trash? And in that moment of passion, your spouse might respond with something like, I'm about to take out your trash, baby. (laughs) Because they thought that you were trying to talk dirty to them when really you were just concerned about the chores. And that's because their brain is not a ball of wires. It's more like a box. It's a one-track mind that could think about one thing at one time. So gender and the way our brains work has the ability to unite or divide brain function between the genders can unite or divide. We need to be aware. We need to be making sure that we're making room for how God has wired our partner. Gender. Here's another one. Another powerful force that you'll bring into marriage. Personality. Opposites attract, then they attack. And this is why we always recommend pre-marriage counseling for anyone who's thinking about getting married. Here in this church, we always strongly recommend go through pre-marriage counseling first. 
understand what you're getting yourself into, really truly understand who the other person is. Because being cute, that only lasts for so long. And then you're going to actually have to deal with the real person and who they really are. Is my wife laughing? Whoever laughed, we know you're married to someone ugly. (laughs) Great personality. Here's another one. Background. The core beliefs that you bring into marriage, they can be very different from the core beliefs your spouse is bringing into marriage. In other words, another word for background is baggage. We all have some. We're all towing some along. Most of our baggage, you know where it comes from? Past trauma, unresolved emotional difficulties, and marriage has a way of revealing our stowed away baggage. At some point, all this baggage we're towing along, at some point, we've got to become mature enough to stop saying things like, that's just the way I am, or you knew I was that way when you married me. You know, that's a really immature response. We need to be able to grow past those things. At some point, we have to take the responsibility on ourselves to take the health, unhealthy things about us and say, those are real, and I'm going to work on myself because I love you to try and grow past them. That's called maturity. That's called growing up. And it sucks. We all hate doing it but it's necessary. Here's another one, values. Do you share the same core values? Are you committed to the same things? Are you on the same page spiritually? Here's what 2 Corinthians 6.14 says about this. Are we on the same page? Don't become partners with those who reject God. You see, this is a warning. Single people, this is a warning. Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not a partnership. It's war. You don't want your marriage to be a war. Is light best friends with dark? How does Christ, does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? Who would think of setting up a pagan idols in God's holy temple? But that's exactly what we are, each of us, a temple in whom God lives. You see, this is a clear warning for those dating, hoping to be married. Make sure you're on the same page spiritually first, or else someday soon you're going to have a lot of pain and a lot of trouble. What happens when you raise kids? Will you be able to train them up in the way they should go to find and follow Jesus or some other crazy thing? It will be the biggest divide you face. So if you're married or looking to be, consider gender, personality, background, and values. Both partners will bring that into the relationship and all those things matter. Okay, now we're gonna talk about three relational circles that can either unite or divide marriage. Here's the first one. Our parents. In the scripture I wrote at the beginning of this message, it said, 
Well, Jesus was reiterating, a man will leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. You see, establishing an adult marriage means your primary connection is not to your parents, it's to your spouse. Not your parents and not your spouse's parents. Should you honor your father and mother? Yes! But at times, healthy boundaries need to be in place when parents or extended family intrude where they do not belong. Some of us have experienced this. Sometimes grandma wants to raise the kids. (laughs) It's not her responsibility. It's ours. Your parents are not responsible for your marriage. You are parents in the room. You're not responsible for your children's marriage. And when you become involved where you shouldn't, you end up hurting when your intention was to help. It often goes that way. Healthy boundaries need to be set, and they're important. Here's another. Kids. These can either unite or divide. Parents and kids. We need to learn what season we're in with our children. Here's what Ecclesiastes says. Everything that happens in life... There's a season and a right time for everything under heaven. There's a popular parenting idea when, in regards to seasons. It goes like this. It's a progression. Nurse, king, coach, friend. As you're raising your children, small children, you're like a nurse to them. They need to be nursed. They need to be cared for. But then they turn into kids. And your role needs to be more like that of a king. You see, kids need authority and they need direction. They can't just go off and do whatever they want. They need restrictions, boundaries, direction, correction. You move from nursing a child to becoming an authority in that child's life. And then when they become a teenager, you ought to move from being an authoritarian to a coach. Move from being a king to a coach. Authoritarian parents for teenagers, they build complacent young adults. We don't want to build complacent young adults. We want responsible decision makers. That's who we want to build. So you want to move out of the king stage, move into the coach stage. And then when your kids become adults, we want to be their friend. Because we we all want our adult children to want to come back around as they age. Nurse, king, coach, friend. Life stages. Our kids can end up uniting or dividing our marriage. They can be joyful or painful. Here's what C.S. Lewis said, author C.S. Lewis. Getting over a painful experience is much like crossing monkey bars. You have to let go at some point to move forward. Look at if you're a parent in the room, we've all screwed things up. We've all done things incorrect. We've all messed up. And we have to be able to get to the point where we ask for forgiveness, we let go, and we keep moving forward. Just like crossing the monkey bars. Here's the last relational circle that can unite or divide a marriage. It's our friends. Because our friends carry great influence in our lives. You know, 
there's a reason why your spouse doesn't like that one friend you hang out with. Because they don't like the way you act when you're around them. You stay out too late, you drink too much, or you overspend. So I'm going to ask you, husband and wife, spouse, go ahead and lean over to your spouse right now and just whisper the name of that friend who is a bad influence into their ear. Go ahead. You know, setting boundaries can help fix this. Boundaries are healthy. Boundaries help us to make a healthy choice regardless of the choices of others around us. Proverbs 13 says, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. The warning is not if I hang out with fools, I become a fool. That's not what this scripture is saying. This scripture is saying, if you hang out with fools, eventually you'll be impacted by their decisions. Eventually, the shrapnel from the explosion of their lives is going to hit you. Here's what it says in Romans 1. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. We need friends like that. And that's why we do groups here at this church. Groups are in session right now where we're building friendships with other like-minded people who say, I want to lift you up. I want you to lift me up. This is not to say... um, Stay away from bad people. That's not what this is saying. And I personally do not believe that's true or should be true in any of our lives. We're called to be a light in this world. We are called to be among the people of our communities. So I'm not saying that. I'm saying we also need friendships with people who will lift us up and we can lift them up. And when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. We need those kinds of friends as well. Here's the four C's of honoring marriage. Ready? Cut, color, clarity, carrot. (laughs) That's actually the four C's of getting engaged. Okay, here's the four C's of marriage. Here's the first one. Christ, Jesus at the center of your life. You know, when we walk with Christ, when we're actually learning to become like Jesus, we make a lot less stupid decisions. My marriage is better when I'm actively walking with Jesus, it makes me treat my wife better. It makes me love her more. It makes me do less dumb things with my own life. Christ at the center. Here's the second, commitment. An immovable commitment to your spouse. Fully committed, growing in unity in your marriage. Christ at the center, fully committed. Communication, clear, honest, respectful, humble communication. I always like to say in most relationships, you have a gorilla and a turtle when it comes to communication. Which one are you? And in my marriage, we also have a gorilla and a turtle. I'm not the gorilla (laughs) when it comes to communication. And the fourth C is compromise. Try to find the win-win. Your goal should never be to beat your, defeat your spouse. It should be a win-win. If you love them, you would want them to win. Not to dominate them. To lift them up. Compromise. Always looking 
for a win-win. You know, real love is freaking difficult. Real love is difficult. It's effort. It's commitment. It's sacrifice. And it's worth it. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And I'm going to invite you to stand up with me. I told you that message was going to be depressing. Perhaps you're here today and you feel like your marriage is hanging on by a thread. Maybe you feel like it's just dead altogether. I am inviting you in this moment to take a step back from that ledge. You're here, you made it to church together. There is a piece of hope within your heart. Can we meditate on the words that Jesus spoke? What God has joined together, let no one separate. And if you're here with your spouse, I'm gonna ask you to do something crazy in this moment. You might not like it, but I'm gonna ask you to do it. Would you hold their hand? Right now, would you hold their hand? Now, listen, if you're madly in love, intertwine fingers like this. But if you kind of are mad at them, you could just do it normal, like that way. (laughs) Would you hold their hand? I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to pray for your relationship, your marriage, or perhaps your future marriage. And then we're gonna sing a song together. A song that is to God, but it's for you. And we're gonna believe that no matter what condition our marriage is in today, God has a hope, a future. He can provide healing, he can provide restoration. God is in the business of making all things new. God is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. Let's pray. Jesus, for all of us standing here, married, going to be married, single, we need you, Lord. Real love is difficult, but you modeled it for us. You modeled what sacrifice looks like. You modeled that love is far more than feelings it's a commitment it's saying even though I don't feel like it I'm going to love you anyway Jesus would you put that love back in our hearts would you show us hope would you help us to find a way would you help our marriages to be strong healthy committed I pray for anyone in this room who is going to be married God I pray that you would Bless them, keep them, unite them in your ways, Lord, 
I pray for anyone who's single and wants to be married. I pray, God, that you would bring them together with just the right person. And Lord, I also know that there are people in this room and singleness is their path forward. And you're okay with that, God. May we be okay with that too. Would you bless the single people in this room? May they do great and mighty things in your name. So God, for our relationships and our marriages today, I ask you, heal us, bless us. In the name of Jesus, I ask, amen.